tie in or piggyback off of what pastor has already brought out. I'm not delving, delving into the lesson, but really just emphasizing the importance of preparation. You know, anything you do in life, you want to make sure that you prepare. A lot of times people are overtaken by fear because they didn't properly prepare for whatever it was that they were going to face. And it doesn't mean that you're going to know every instance or every detail about your opposition. But if you are preparing, especially as children of God, if we prepare properly, how do we prepare? We train, we condition ourselves, we maintain ourselves, right? So you train by education and knowledge, right? You receive those things and you make sure that you know what you're supposed to know, okay? The scripture says my people perish because of what? You destroy it right off the bat because you don't know. So we got to train. We got to make sure that we educate ourselves and we're knowledgeable. Got to stay in the word of God. Study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not be ashamed. Doing what? Rightly dividing. Got to know it to divide it right, right? Amen. And conditioning ourselves, we got to make sure we stay in practice. Make sure we exercise. You know, they always tell you before the PT test, don't wait till the week before the PT test and try to prepare for it. That physical training test, you ain't going to pass it if you ain't been training. You've been sitting there eating bonbons and ding-dongs and everything else, you know, and then the week before you trying to run and, and, and prepare, you ain't going to pass. That's about it. That's it. And then you got to maintain. Evaluate yourself. Continue to improve. You know what your weaknesses are. If you're training, then you identify what your weaknesses are. You're able to improve upon that. Okay? And so we want to make sure we do that. The other thing is positioning ourselves. Sometimes people are destroyed because they're in the wrong position. And Pastor kind of touched on that already last week. But you are in the wrong position, then you're, gonna, you're already going to be destroyed because you don't even know what you're supposed to do. What's my lane of fire? What, what's my sector? What am I supposed to be looking for? Where am I supposed to be watching? If me and Sister Bell, we sitting in combat and we watching the same area, well, who's watching my back? Who's watching your back? Right? You trying to lead your family, but you in one di- you look in one direction. You tunnel vision. Okay. All right. Or you in the wrong position. You trying to help everybody else out, but you ain't really being in the place where you're supposed to be at home. We got a lot of that today. Let me come tell you how to cut your grass. My grass is still overgrown. I got weeds and everything. But I'm going to tell you how to cut yours. But you got to position ourselves reverencing, respecting, and honoring God. That's That's where it starts. Having that reverence. Putting God in perspective in our in the right perspective for us you know god doesn't change our perspective of god is what changes we got to obey follow his instructions he didn't know what to do good and do it to not to him he is messed up okay and then we service fulfilling the divine will and plan of god did you know that really the ultimate purpose of man is to serve God. That's why we was put on this earth, to serve him. From day one, he established that, is to serve him. So we're here for his purpose, amen? If we keep those things in mind, 
that we have less time to focus on the things that we fear. Because usually the things you fear is what you blow up in your perspective and it replaces the image of God. Because God is greater than anything, right? So if you can get your perspective right, get everything back in focus. That's why when your eyes start going bad, what the doctors tell you, you're going to need what? Some help, right? You need some visual assistance. That's why we wear glasses and all these other fine things that they've created and, and formed to help us so we can see. So we're not walking in the walls and, you know, walking blind, tripping over stuff all the time, right? Thank God for that, right? So, again, I, you know, I, I really did enjoy the lesson. I told my wife, I said, man, that was good. I said, I wish I was there for the lesson. To listen to it, that is. So tonight, or today, we're going to get into conquering depression. Now, I put, um, I'm just trying to make sure my alarm is set here. So I don't go over my time. Conquering depression. Everybody has received your copy of the notes. Okay. So according to Merriam-Webster, depression is a serious medical condition in which a person feels very sad, hopeless, and unimportant. And often is unable to live in a normal way. That's the key part to this. It's normal to experience sadness in our lives, uh, but we must be careful not to remain in that condition for an extended period of time. Now, I've got I've got a few quotations and uh, references in here, and I did that intentionally because while I'm not a medical professional, I'm not a clinical, you know, professional. uh, There are some some things out there, some references that kind of they've done their research their studies, and they've kind of gotten some information together. And so I just take advantage of that just to bring out a point or to emphasize uh, what we're talking about today. Uh, There's a man by the name of Marcus McGill published an article on medicalnewstoday.com. He states, having these problems persistently, talking about sadness, such that they affect life for a period of time, could signal the treatable condition of depression rather than a passing episode of feeling down which most of us feel at some point in time in our lives there's an organization called the world health organization they put depression at the top of the list and is the common the most common illness worldwide and the leading cause of disability the world health organization estimates that 350 million people 350 million people around the world are affected by depression. Who also reports, that's what they refer to, who, they report that over 800,000 people die due to suicide every year as a result of depression. That's a lot of people. In fact, suicide is the second leading cause of death in 15 to 29-year-olds. And fewer than 10% of people affected by depression receive any treatment. So as you can see, depression is a serious epidemic that we face in our society today. The National Institute of Mental Health 
They state that some signs and symptoms of depression include persistent, sad, anxious, or empty feelings. Feelings of hopelessness or pessimism. You find somebody that's always negative about everything. That's a good indicator. Feelings of guilt, worthlessness, or helplessness. Irritability, restlessness. Loss of interest in activities or hobbies once pleasurable to include sex for married people. Amen. Just want to make sure I was put on podcast. Difficulty concentrating, remembering details and making decisions. Insomnia. Early morning wakefulness or excessive sleeping. Overeating or appetite loss. Thoughts of suicide or suicide attempts, aches or pains, headaches, cramps, or digestive problems that do not ease even with treatment. Now, a lot of people can identify with some of these symptoms, but there's a lot of them that don't correlate them, those symptoms, with depression. Now, the Bible provides us a few examples of well-known characters who experience one or more of these symptoms. Now, in my opinion, when I look at these characters, there's quite a few in there that you can take. But there's a few that come to mind, like Naomi. So here it is. Naomi was Elimelech's wife, right? And they had two sons. They decide because there's a famine in Bethlehem, they're going to go to Moab. All right, and I'm told that Moab, the, the nation of Moab, really were descendants of. Um, um, oh man, it slipped my mind. Oh, Lot, um, Lot and his daughters. Okay, so they go there. God didn't tell them to leave, but they left. Okay. After a while, Elimelech and his two sons died after they arrived. To Moab, you know, his two sons they got married to two Moabite women, and then next thing you know, they're just dying off. All right? So Naomi decided after a while to go back to Bethlehem, and she decided that you know the story. She told Orpah, "Hey, and Ruth, y'all go back. I'm just gonna go back to Bethlehem where I came from. Y'all go back." Orpah says, "Okay." Well, first they were both gonna go. Orpah says, "All right. Well, I'm convinced. I'll go back." Naomi, on the other hand, I mean, Ruth, excuse me, on the other hand, says, I'm going to go back with you. At one point in Ruth chapter one, now this is all in chapter one. It doesn't really tell us a time frame. But in Ruth chapter one, as she's having that dialogue with Ruth, the dialogue between Naomi and Ruth, Naomi tries to convince her by telling her, he says, she says, even if I had hope, that I was going to get married and produce more sons. Would you wait around for them to grow older? But Ruth had something, she had something in her mind, and she, you know, she was hopeful. For whatever reason, she, she gravitated to Naomi. There was something that she had to look forward to, okay, that she could not see there. It wasn't anything tangible. But she just believed that if she stuck with Naomi, she was going to get something out of it. So while Naomi's trying to convince her, Ruth is set. She's like, hey, I'm going back. 
your people are going to become my people. Y'all know the story. Your God's going to become my God. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die. So on and so forth. That's major. To leave from the place that she was at, right? So they get back, though, and then everybody's like, oh, Naomi, Naomi. You know, they're like, wow. You know, when you go back to your hometown, the people that, that you knew, you know, and they're looking at you, they're all excited, like, hey. Naomi's like, no, nah, don't call me that. Call me Mara. Now, you know the the word or the name Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Right? So she said, call me bitter because that's pretty much what my life is right now. In my opinion, she was experiencing some empty feelings. She was pessimistic. And she felt a sense of worthlessness. I mean, she lost everything, right? And I can only imagine what was going through her mind the whole time. Man, if we would maybe if we would have never left Bethlehem in the first place, maybe I still have my husband. Maybe we'll still be blessed. You know, when they left, they didn't. There, all the stuff that they had, the land, the property, all that. You know, she didn't have that when she came back. Now she still had relatives, and she was still blessed by her relatives. But the point is, they left what they had. So imagine what she went through. The you know the thoughts that she went that went through her mind. Um, another one that comes to mind is Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's handmaid. This was a messed up situation right here. Right? So God promised to Abraham and Sarah, you, hey, I know you're old, but you're still going to have a child. I know you're in your 80s. It's okay. You're going to have a child. Right? Sarah's laughing like, man, that ain't even possible. So Sarah says, eventually Sarah says, you know what? I'm going to help God out. Go to that handmaiden, my handmaiden, uh, Hagar. We're going to have a child through her. Can you imagine that today? It's kind of happening, if you think about it. They got all these clinics and stuff set up and, you know, just... All these things in place so that people can have children. It's kind of the same thing, right? So now I'm the daddy of your baby between you and your wife, your husband, whatever the case may be. It's just confusion. But Sarah decided, she's like, man, this is a good plan right here. Take Hagar. We're going to have a son through her. It's going to be all right. Hagar got pregnant. She had a child. Bible says she became despised. Right? So Sarah all of a sudden gets upset. Hey, you need to do something with that handmaiden. I'd have been like Abraham too. That's your handmaid. I didn't ask for that. You t- <laughs> you deal with it. So she sent her away. We know they came back after, you know, the angel told her, says, yeah, he's going to be blessed too. You know, they came back. Then, then Sarah has a child. So now there's really a rivalry going on. Hey, look, man, we can't have both of y'all here. There's only one promised seed. Now you want to trust. Now you want to have confidence in the promised seed because you didn't have your son. So now you're ready to kick Hagar to the curb completely. That's what she did, right? Hagar is out there. She goes to Beersheba, I believe it is, the wilderness. And then she realizes the water is gone. You know, I don't know how much it was, but to me, I just envisioned, you know, Abraham gave her a gallon of water. I'm like, man, how long did you expect that to last? 
right? So they get out there to the wilderness. We know she looks and she sees the water spent is gone. She decides to hide her child under one of the shrubs and she sits away off. They say about a bow shot's distance. And she just begins to weep because she didn't want to see her child die. She expected death, but she didn't want to she didn't want to watch it. But in my opinion, she was experiencing hopelessness and helplessness at that point in time in her life. But imagine what was going through her mind. Man, if I had never slept with that dude in the first place, I wouldn't have this child. I wouldn't have to worry about the death of this child now. I don't even have a home no more. I had a, at least I had a decent. I had some place to stay, you know. Now look where I'm at in the wilderness. How did I get to this point? And where do I go from here? Peter's another one that comes to mind. Peter, I mean, this guy, oh, man, walking with Jesus, right? And he witnesses all this wonderful stuff that Jesus does. But Peter had an issue to me. Peter had one issue. Peter could talk a good game. And Peter was ready to fight. But when it came to facing situations that threatened his life, Peter had a little... He had a little problem with faith and trust. Lord, if it be you, let me step out on the water. Man, he was ambitious, and that's good. As soon as he got out there walking, he was okay while he was staying focused on Jesus. But then when he started looking at the waves and everything else, the Bible says he started sinking right away. Not because he was admiring the ways, but because he became fearful. He became doubtful. When they came to get Jesus, stay in the garden. What did Peter do? Pull out his sword. He's ready to fight, right? And he told Jesus, he says, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to be right there. But can you imagine what Peter felt like when Jesus says, hey, mm, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And watch him heal the man's ear. It's like, man, I thought we was going a different way. I was ready to fight. Now Peter's out there in the courts denying Jesus. He's watching everything that's happening and he's denying Jesus, denied him three times. Can you imagine the guilt that he felt? The Bible says it came, it came to his remembrance what happened when Jesus says, hey, before the cock crowed twice, you're going to deny me three times. Wow. Man, all that stuff I said, I spoke boldly too. And here I am. So you, ever, you know, you ever get to that, you ever had that experience in your life where you just like, you really intended on doing something great, you, you, uh, doing a good job, and then you just, you just didn't, and you just like, man. Man, I failed at that. And if you're not careful, you can get to a point of depression just dwelling on that, how much you messed up. You know what I like about God? It doesn't matter how many times you messed up. Yeah, he doesn't like it when you mess up. But it doesn't matter how many times you mess up. God is still full of mercy and grace. See, a lot of times it's, it's just us being convinced that we don't deserve what we get to begin with. See, God gave us what he gave us because he knew we were going to mess up sometimes. He knew he wasn't going to get it right all the time. But if we knew where to go back to, if we knew what to do to get our focus back, right, we'll stay on track. We'll continue to go forward. We won't 
we won't just throw in the towel and say, oh, well, you know what? I didn't get it right, so oh, well. I ain't going to never make it. Things ain't going to never change. But you know the end story of Peter. I mean, man, they had some they had some awesome times after that. Peter wasn't worried about his life no more. You know what it took? Him to witness that Jesus actually had the power that he said he had. Yeah, I see you doing all this other stuff, but when you die and you re- you get up on the third day, I've seen you crucified. I've seen all that stuff. And you still living now? And you're going to die no more? Yeah, what you said was true. Oh, I believe it now. I'm ready. Because if that happens for you, that means I have some, that gives me something to look forward to. This is not the end. Judas Iscariot is another one. Judas betrayed Jesus. Now, the scripture, I know there's a lot of different, you know, information out there about Judas and how he did what he did. I get the impression when Judas was talking to the high priest, he was, you know, the agreement was that he would, yes, give Jesus over to them. But I don't think he expected to see what happened after they got Jesus. I don't think he expected for them to do what they were doing to Jesus. And the, only, the, the main thing that gives me that indication is because afterwards, when, they, when he saw that, what did he do? He went back to the temple and he tried to return the money. He says, man, I betrayed innocent blood. Mm-mm. I don't want this on my hands. So what did he do? He threw the money back. Then after he left, what did he go do? Can you imagine the weight that he felt? I mean, the poor guy just probably just didn't know what to do. You know, what what amazes me is the Bible says he repented himself. So that would give you the indication that he repented, right? He tried to get it right, right? He just felt bad for what he did. But he didn't repent to God. The Bible didn't say he repented to God. The Bible didn't say he tried to get reconciled and, you know, try to get it right. Perhaps, maybe, God would have forgiven him. There's only one thing in the scripture that tells, you know, that, that I find. That's unforgivable, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. So who knows? Maybe God would have forgiven him. But because of what, where he was at, he thought the way out from whatever pressure he was feeling was to take his life. Isn't that something? And, and if you think about it, you know, I, I just bring that up because, again, you can be in the house of God and you're trying to live for God and all of a sudden you do something. You mess up. Let's say you sin. Well, guess what? If God has given you another opportunity to breathe, he's given you life for a reason. So it's not the end of the world. It's not all hope is lost. That's why he came. That's why he gave his life. So we could have hope. 
So we wouldn't have to live in the bondage of sin. And if we should be overtaken by sin, we're supposed to reckon, be reconciled back to God, right? Repent and get up and let's move on. You'd be surprised how many people of God stay in bondage just because they're beating themselves up because they messed up something and they, they just haven't gotten up. For years, they're sitting in bondage because, oh, I messed up on that. As a parent, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't raise my children the way I really could have or wanted to. You know, if I'd have known what I, what I know now, if I'd have known then, maybe I would have done things a little bit different. Okay. But it's not the end of the world. Now you know. And guess what? You may have an opportunity to still have an impact on those kids that you raised. But the first thing is going to be for you to pick yourself up and continue on in what you know. Now I know. Thank God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. And I'm trusting that because God has revealed this to me, there's going to be an opportunity for me to still have an impact. All hope is not lost. It's not the end of the world. You know, I know my children are still young, but I think about it sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I, you know what? In all my efforts, I still may mess up something. But one thing's for certain. If I continue to follow you, you're going to make it. You're going to make it all right. You're going to help me through this and you're going to save my children. I'm believing they're still going to be saved. I'm believing they're still going to be connected to you. They're going to go on and, and do great things for you. I'm believing that. Well, my children have moved out of the house. That's great. All hope is not lost. I'm just trying to encourage somebody because, you know, sometimes it's like that. You can only beat yourself up for so much before you KO. You know what's crazy about it is the enemy is not even the one doing the blows. You're dealing your own self the blows. Can you imagine a boxer in the boxing ring punching himself? I guarantee his opponent would be like, what is going on with that? It's a waste of my time. But that's what's happening. You beat yourself up and then keep blaming the devil. The devil's like, man, I ain't even got a chance to throw, throw a blow yet. I wanted to, but you beat me to the punch. No pun intended. <laughs> right? So, the ways we can combat conquer depression now there are clinical methods and and let me just say this if a person does not know god if a person you know you're not they don't have the holy ghost they don't have it may be an avenue that they need to take temporarily i'm not discrediting the clinical or the medical aspect or approach i want to put that out there because there's some people that they don't have, they don't, you can talk to them about the Holy Ghost all day long and the power of the Holy Ghost, but if they don't have the Holy Ghost, they don't have that. Unfortunately, you know, they got to be on medication. That's supposed to help put things in perspective and balance it out, you know, biologically, but, you know, then they go through therapy. But if they can get a hold of the power, of the Holy Ghost, I guarantee you, 
That same power that's able to heal people from cancer can heal people from depression. We already know it's treatable. The scientists say it's treatable. But God is the answer, right? So in our efforts, now we don't want to discourage folks. If they're saying they're going in for help, and this has happened before where you get people, again, we're ambitious. We want to encourage people. That's great. But uh, if they say I'm going in because I'm going to see the doctor, don't be so quick to tell them, well, you don't need to go to the doctor. You need Jesus. Yes, they need Jesus. But if they're, in a, if they're not in a state of mind, if they're not in a, a, a place to receive that, then you're not helping them. Now, medical, you know, medicine has its place. These professionals, they, it, it, it has its place. I believe God has allowed those things to be in place for people who don't have what we have. But now if you're a child of God, Ain't no reason why you should be running trying to seek some therapy when you got the Holy Ghost in you for depression. Amen. I'm just speaking the truth. You a child of God. Do you realize what you have? It's the spirit of God that dwells in you. And last time I checked, I don't serve no God that's depressed. So if his spirit lives in me, I shouldn't be depressed. Oh, you're gonna, it's going to be those times where things happen, where it try to drive you in that state. But at some point, you've got to encourage yourself. You've got to pick yourself up. Look at the Word of God. Look at the promises that's in the Word of God. You know, we gain hope. Hope is, is one way to combat depression. Most people that's depressed, we already saw it, right? They're hopeless, having nothing to look forward to. Hope is an expectation. That's really what it is. That's the face of expectation. It brings life to perseverance, persistence, and achievement. If you try to negotiate with a person that's about to commit suicide, one of the things that you have to do, or the main thing that they're doing when they're negotiating, is trying to get them to see that there's still value to life. There's still something to look forward to. And people want to know that. When they're in that condition, they're looking, they're, but they're, they're not in a right frame of mind to identify that. But when you're able to connect with them and, and, and actually get them to see that, it changes some people. Now they make a different decision than what they were going to do before. It works. So if it works practically, spiritually, how much more? We know that the, the greatest hope that we have is eternal life. That's something to look forward to. And I'm not willing to give that up just because I feel like it's the end and I'm going to make the determination that's the end of my life because I got a bad situation going on in my life. Now, I'm not making light of the, 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 the circumstances that come our way. But as children of God, you have power. You have the spirit of God. You have the, the word of God. Okay. You look in the word of God. You should find Hope. There's a uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Dawson McAllister, and uh, he states <clears throat> he's got a he's got a blog out there. But he's in one of his comments. He says more than anything, I believe people who commit suicide feel hopeless. They're hurting so badly and want the pain to end, but they can't imagine it ever going away. 
A person who loses hope eventually, now this is not him, but a person who loses hope eventually loses the will to live. So if we want to gain leverage over our depression, over depression, we must have hope. In the words of Jesse Jackson, keep hope alive. He actually has a radio station out there and everything out there. There's a whole website out there. Keep hope alive. It's out there. If we desire hope, we must begin with the word of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, and I'm going to have to wrap this up in a minute. Um, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. I'm going to have to skip over some of this stuff, unfortunately. Look at what he says. Everybody there? For whatsoever things were written aforetime, everything that was written, the scriptures that were written, were written for our education, our learning, right? That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have, again, God's word is filled with wonderful promises, got instructions in there examples of people who exercised hope in adverse situations look at Job. this guy i mean everything that he went through lost everything that he had you talk about the worst of the worst he lost his possessions then he lost his health he was the only thing he had left was just to die but here he is still hoping now, I still believe he was attacked with the spirit of depression and, you know, all those other things because there's time you can look at his writings and see. He was like, man, I just wish I wasn't born. I wish that whole time didn't happen. But he still had hope in God. He still trusted God. He says, what, though he slay me, yet will I? Wow. The Apostle Paul. There's many others, but the Apostle Paul, you remember when they was locked up, Paul and Silas? They imprisoned. Can you imagine going to prison today? Are you thinking about singing when you go to prison? Singing the glory of God? Is that going to be on your mind when you get locked up and you hear those doors closed? You around all them other prisoners? Midnight, Paul and Silas, boy, they start singing. And y'all know the rest of the story. But they had hope. Whether we make it through this thing or not, we got hope. I mean, you can take all kinds of people. Uh, Daniel and the lion's den, you can take the Hebrew boys, you can take all kinds of people and see how they've exercised hope in those adverse situations. Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? Despising the shame. Where's he at now? Hey, hey. That's what we have to look forward to. Ultimately, we must put our hope in God. He will never fail. His word will never come up short. When we place our hope in God, he sustains and strengthens us to face and overcome the giant of depression. 
There's some scripture references that I have, um, and I'm going to say those real quick and get over to the next one. Psalms 31 and 24, that's one of the references that I have. I don't know if y'all have that on y'all's notes. Okay, good. So we can move on. The next thing is gaining joy. Guarantee you, if you are full of joy, you will not be depressed. Now, let me just say this. Joy is not. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Happiness is not the definition of joy. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. Today I might be happy. It's a sunny day. The weather is warm. Feels good to me. I can be happy and have joy. Oh, but one of those moments where things don't seem to be going right. I can't find my ID card when I'm trying to get out for work. Go to start the car and the car won't start. Now I got a flat tire. It's snowing outside. Now I got to call the boss because I'm going to be late for work because the vehicle won't work. Family's sick. Got to pick up one of the kids from school. Washer won't work. Is anything else going to happen? I'm not happy right now, but I'm still full of joy. I always tell people, I doubt very seriously, I could be wrong, but I doubt very seriously that Jesus was laying there on that cross and they was nailing him and he was just smiling like, <laughs> yeah, go home head and nail me. Oh, that feel mighty good. I feel good right now. We know Jesus didn't want, <laughs> he didn't want to have to go through that, right? But he understood why. We talk about the joy that was set before him. Jesus understood that there was something greater coming. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you guess what? Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Right? So we talked about love last week. Joy is another benefit of the Spirit. So if you've got that, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we shouldn't be depressed. Joy is what makes our burdens seem lighter to bear. Joy is what brings light to the darkest moment of our lives. And uh, no matter what we experience in this life, we must never lose that joy that God gives us. The song says, this joy that I have, the world didn't issue it to me. The world didn't give it to me. So the world can't take it away. Remember, the enemy doesn't have... The enemy only has the amount of power that you give him. He can only influence in your life. But you got to make up in your mind whether or not you're going to stay there. Depression is a result. It's not the cause. Depression is a result of how you respond to the situation that you're going through. So the same way you can decide to be in depression and stay in that state of sadness, you can decide to come out of depression. And God can give you the power and the strength to do so. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I'm just one minute over. Y'all forgive me. Let's be ready for the service in Jesus' name.